You are now listening to Cyber Time Bite, hosted by me, Stephen Clark. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey there, everybody. Um, this is uh, this is Stephen for uh, for Cyber Time Bite, episode seventy-seven. And um, I just want I just want to let everyone know that this podcast right now is doing extremely well. I got a panel coming up when when this is getting recorded. I got a panel coming up next week, and I can't wait for that. And it's going to be really awesome. But today for episode seventy seven, I have a guest on my show who has done a excellent podcast. He he does the he did the Coming Alive podcast. Um. He he wrote a book, uh, Coming Alive, which was also the name of the podcast, um, and he did many other things. And we're not only just and we're not only being joined by him, we're also being joined by by a Christian um, too, who um, who's with him today. And um, and I think you know who we're, where I'm going with. I'm here with Barry Michaels. Um, he's a he's a. Uh, Therapist out in California who also did who also did that podcast and also does and also works on many projects. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. How are you, Steve? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, actually. So, hey, Stephen, thanks for having us. Hey, it's no problem. So, um, <clears throat> so first question, um, what? How? How was? How was? Coming alive for you. Um, how was the podcast for you? Why you started it? Why you wanted to do it? Where did it, like you know the whole nine yards? It was great. It was a really good experience. Um, you know, my writing partner Phil Stutz and I had written a New York Times bestseller called The Tools, and then the Coming Alive was actually the sequel to that book. And the podcast was our first opportunity to really get the material out into the public and to people who, you know, for whatever reason didn't feel like reading the book or couldn't afford us as therapists or weren't interested in therapy but just interested in, you know, reading a, a, a book that might help them improve their lives. And so it, get, it gave us the opportunity to get the material out into the world in a, in a different way. And one of the things I enjoyed the most about the podcast was that it also gave listeners a way of asking questions of us, which we could then sort of weed through and answer in subsequent podcasts. So it felt like it it began to set up a little bit of a dialogue between us and people who we would never normally meet, you know, who don't live in LA, who don't aren't necessarily consumers of psychotherapy. But it gave us a great feeling like we could actually help people that that we would never meet, but that we could answer their questions, you know, about about life, about the hardships that people suffer in life, about ways of getting past those hardships, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a great experience. I I just want I just wanted to let you know because um, I don't know I don't know if you I don't know if you seen this, but um if but uh, your buckethead interview that you done on coming alive. Which, if you guys haven't go watch, if you guys haven't heard that episode of his podcast yet, please go listen to it. It's really awesome. He does, Barry here gives out tons and tons of wisdom that is super amazing, and I appreciate it. Um, but it is four hundred forty nine k views. That's how many views that interview has. You really, you really, you really snatched up a good one there. <laughs> well, I have to be humble about this. That was not because of my wisdom. That was because of Buckethead. So he is—he is truly a beloved figure. Yeah, but yeah, but but like, I mean, I mean, the the, the talk about you for five minutes though. I mean, like what you said in that interview, man. I mean, like you you uh, the way that you guys played uh, taught to, to each other and the and what you gave out like about like dusting and and dusting the audience and. And like, um, and like, you gotta pay attention to this, or else, or else it will either harm it or even even worsen it. And 
and all that stuff. That 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 was all like that and more was all the great advice. Oh, I'm so glad that I'm really glad that that was helpful. It's really good to get that feedback. Thank you. Um, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw this on to you because you um because uh because uh, I'll, I'll give it to both of you. Um, to the the throw the question on to you. What was yours and what was both your guys's part X in your lives? Mm. You want to take that first? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, part X is the part each of us, we all have a part X. What we mean by part X is the part of us that is kind of that little voice inside of your head that's always telling you why you can't do something, why you're not enough, why something is impossible. It's kind of the part inside of all of us that's subtly working to crush our spirit and, um and what's my part X? I mean, boy, I think it's such a relief, you know, to know that we all have that little part of us, first and foremost. I think that's, um, you know, when I learned the tools and learned about the work, I, I love that, um, that characterization of that part that we all carry with us. Um, and, boy, I'm trying to think what, I mean, Pardex has a lot of different tactics, right? It has all these different ways that it tries to derail us and get us off track from fulfilling our potential, right? Taking action, taking risk, which is what we need to do as individuals to, to move forward in life and to, you know, to feel satisfied, to have a meaningful existence. So Pardex has a lot of different ways that it kind of tries to take us off track. Um, my part X, you want me to answer what yeah. you think of it? <laughs> think of yours? Yeah, because sure. my part X is just so clear to me. It's the part of me that has told me from, I don't know, probably around the age of 13 or 14. I'm 65 now, so it's been working on me for decades. It's the part of me that has always told me, you can't do that. You'll, you'll fail at that. Don't even try. Don't even bother. You're an idiot. You'll never succeed at anything. I would, I would venture to say that Everything that I have accomplished, writing a New York Times bestselling book, writing a sequel to that book, speaking publicly to 1,500 people at, uh, at, a, at an Endeavor retreat, um, getting married, having kids, everything that I've done, I've done in spite of Part X. It's the part of me that's constantly telling me, you can't do that. And, and that gives you and, and your listeners a sense of how important it is to fight Part X, because if I had listened to it, I never would have done all these things. Yeah, I would say my Part X is probably the loudest part of it is the part that tells me I don't deserve whatever it is, all the good that's possible and out there for me. So it's trying to get me to, you know, stop pursuing all kinds of things, all kinds of opportunity, because I, I just don't deserve it. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, part, part X is a, can could be it could be let's be honest a deadly a, a deadly thing. I mean, like, if it if it's too much, you know. Yes, I've known people whose part X has told them and convinced them so deeply that they're worthless and that their life means so little that part X starts to tell them to kill themselves or hurt themselves in, you know, in some way. And far more people than you realize have had those thoughts and those feelings and have battled through. It's, it's really almost like a battle with an inner demon. I, I don't mean to get dramatic about it, but yeah. if, you're, if you are at all familiar with your part X and if you're at all honest with yourself, you'll admit that there have been times when Part X seems to be getting the upper hand, and, and it's very, very difficult to fight it. That's part of why we wrote the books and, and why we're trying to speak out so much is to, number one, let people know that they're not alone in that battle, and number two, let them know that there are tools. There are things that you can do inside your own head that will help you defeat that inner enemy. And that's such a startling and sort of new message for most people that even just hearing it, even if they don't know exactly what to do, is, 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 um, is really enlivening in a, certain, in a certain way. 
Yeah, because um, we're talking about part X. I guess um, if if I were to answer the question, um, yes. part X to me, um, well, I mean, let's let's throw this out there. I was born with I was born with uh, with Asperger syndrome, and uh. and so I mean, I'm not saying that it has anything to do with it, but I'm just saying like it was, it it was it takes me longer like to do things. And for a long time, ever since high school, I was always scared to drive. Like, right? Like, I never wanted to go. I never wanted to, like, like I was always too scared to get behind the wheel and learn how to drive. But now, but now I'm actually doing it. Like, every week I am going behind the wheel and I'm, and I'm, uh, dri- and I'm driving now. And, uh, I don't have my license yet, but I'm learning how to get it. And I'm, uh, and I'm slowly building myself to, um to gain my license um the art part of my part x is that i was all is that when i was in high school i was all, i didn't know what i wanted to even be like my career path i didn't know what i wanted to be but um i feel like i i conquered that because i ended up going to broadcasting school i went there for a year and i did all i did everything there and that's how i got started in doing the podcast thing with my friend and then doing this Stephen, that's amazing. That's that's just amazing. That that makes me feel so good about you. That, that's, that's fantastic. Can I ask you, Stephen, how how do you battle part X? Have you found ways? I mean, obviously you are because you're you're driving. What are the what are the ways that you found to to confront part X in yourself? I I found out um, the battle part X personally was to just just the just to do it you know i mean like i mean if i if i don't do it then i'm just gonna like it's just gonna be like a thing where it's like it's never gonna get done and i and i just have to go and do it i mean like i the a lot of things there's a lot of things like like that i see are there's like there's a lot of things i want to do like like they may be the most stupidest thing ever but maybe but like I would, if I want to go do it, I can't do it if I can't get there. So I gotta do the thing that can get me there, which is driving. So I, so I, so I put all these things in my head that I, where I want to go, and then I imp, then implement it into into thinking of um, into doing my driving so I can get to those things. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, what your answer really points to for me is that. A big part of the work of battling Part X is just knowing that it's happening. I mean, one of the first things we teach people when they come in to see us is is just start starting to be able to recognize when it's happening. We call it labeling. So mm-hmm. you start to notice when you're having, you know, you just start tracking your thoughts basically and paying attention to what's coming in, what's coming into your mind. And instead of just experiencing yourself as passive or a victim of that, you start noticing what those thoughts are, and then you change the way you evaluate your thoughts. So most of us, you know, historically, we tend to measure our metric for whether we should think a thought or not is based on whether there's any truth to it. So, you know, in your case, I don't know, could something bad happen if you learn how to drive? Sure. Is there some truth in that? Yeah, but there's also a billion other truths. That, like you said, it could also be the, the thing that gets you where you need to go. So we tend to give in to thoughts that have a little bit of, you know, truth to them, um, you know, that are negative just because we, we think we feel bound to think them and we let them in and we, um, you know, we fixate on them. And But again, the measuring stick we use is, well, if there's any truth to it, I need to think that thought. So what we teach people to do is shift that metric and start thinking about whether that thought you know, the bad thing that could happen if you take on driving, you know, what are all the, the worst things that could happen? Um, instead of thinking about whether there's truth, you start to think about, does that thought add to my life force or does it take away from my life force? And it's so simple when you start to evaluate your thoughts that way, you know. Um, and, and really, we just teach people to track all the thoughts that are coming in because we get derailed by those thoughts so easily. And that's, you know, that's part X's mechanism is it works through our thinking and so um you know just that simple shift of starting to 
question your thoughts. And then if, if, if it's diminishing your life force, then it doesn't qualify as a thought worth having. And just kind of what you brilliantly said, you do the thing anyway. You just take action. You don't give in to um, that, that, that negative thought. And it's, that's it. That's kind of a big part of the work. That's brilliant. Yeah, and I, I just want to amplify the point that you made at the end, Kristen, which is it's really actually good when, when you sort of get good at, at labeling part X and identifying it, you actually begin to use it as a metric, as an indicator of what you should do in your life. In other words, whatever it's telling you not to do is going to expand your life in some way. So, and Stephen, you, you were a really good example of that. It was telling you you'll never be able to drive or you shouldn't drive or whatever. And you took contrary action and look at what that's going, how that's going to expand your life. You're going to be able to do so many more things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. And as people start to take contrary action over and over and over again, that's when they begin to discover who they really are and what they're really capable of doing. Like, as I said before, I could easily have listened to Part X and not become a therapist, not written a book, not written a sequel, not, you know, I could have given in to my fear of public speaking. And instead, I just did everything Part X told me not to do. And, and I'm in a much, much better place than I ever would have been otherwise. Yeah, because... because um... Uh, because you do you do a lot of great work. I mean, like you talk to a lot of great people and you help a lot of great people. You guys together as as therapists together, you guys work with a lot of great people. Um, I mean, there to say, when I was younger, I um I went to therapy myself. Like when I was younger, to like a therapist on my own for like all of high school, and and it was and. In the back then, that really helped because it helped me to where I am, how I am today, of like just taking just to take things and not take so many things for granted and take so many things just like, 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 like taking the chill pill pretty much. I mean, some sometimes I get a little overreactive sometimes and sometimes thinks that something's bigger than it should be, but I just gotta remember just to, you know, I gotta be me and I gotta be down, I gotta keep taking the straight path. And and not and not be so, you know, overwhelmed about everything. I just gotta be, I just gotta be more controlled, and you know, and be more down the path in my lane, if you know what I mean. I think so. It sounds like. Um, tell me if tell me if I'm misinterpreting this, but it sounds like part of what makes you anxious is that there's a kind of a quiet, maybe unconscious belief that you can't handle things that you actually can handle. And so if you're able to take a deep breath and say to yourself, I, I actually am capable of handling this, then everything settles down. Yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's pretty much right. That, that's, 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 that's pretty much it, really. I mean, I've never met anybody, by the way, for whom that isn't true. In other words, we're always capable of so much more than we think we are. Because, um, because, because <coughs> because sometimes when I like, like for example, like if I like talk to somebody, and and like and I feel and I feel like, like you know how it is, like when you talk to someone sometimes and um and they and you get left on sent on red or seen or whatever and mm-hmm. and you feel and you, you this thing goes in my mind for some reason that I feel like I feel like I don't know like like something happened or it, it doesn't happen all the time but it happens in like certain situations like if it's like with someone like I like I really really like or someone or someone that I really really care about and I get left on scene or whatever and then and then um and then like that keeps happening like all the time then I feel then I feel like like something is going on and then a light goes off my head and that, and that's and that's the light I got that I control that I I used to not control before but now I control because uh, what's that Oh sorry I was, I just was murmuring <laughs> No 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 it's no it's fine I was understanding what you were going to No but but no I I but now I control it 
because because in the past I used to be like message after message after message after message after message, but I had that, but I kicked myself in the I kicked myself, R as I say my part X I kicked my part X in the in the in the in the you know what's and I told it that I can't be doing that anymore, and so and so I so I um I I slow through the years I have slowly, pretty much had dis- disintegrated that part of me. That that was kind of annoying because I because I hate because I a lot that was a lot of the of the turnoff for a lot of people was me being so annoying with so many messages at so many little time. Uh, do you, do you understand what, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a really big breakthrough. It sounds like you were also. I, I'm not sure I totally heard what you said but it sounded like you said that you like a, a light would go off if you didn't get that reaction that you wanted or you felt unseen is that what you were saying yeah like 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 a like a light went off um in yeah. my head like if so, if so, like if if there wasn't like instant reaction but but yeah. but um but now i but but then i learned to be more patient because if i ain't patient then then people are just going to get ticked off I think that, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that because, again, to me, that just, that really um, reflects something that every person struggles with. You know, we all want, we want that approval, we want that attention, we want that, you know, light, light source on the outside to affirm us, and it's hard to be patient, it's also hard to keep your light on when you're not getting the reflection you want from the outside world, whether that's a person or you want to get a job or you want to get, you know, you want to win at something. We're all so attached to um, what happens outside of us. And as you grow your ability to not need the outside world to, you know, reflect you back, but you can keep your light shining anyway. And like you're doing, you know, you keep going and you recommit to bringing yourself to the world and into relationships, even when they don't go right, that's how you really grow your life force, and you keep opening doors for yourself. So that's really powerful. Thank you. Um, so, so um, how how long have you been um, how long have you been doing what you've been doing? Like, how many years has it been at this point? I've been working as a therapist for about thirty-five years. Thirty-five years. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> you. Uh, how about you, Miss Christian? Yeah, I I have a, a a different path. It's funny. I started as a psychotherapist. I'm trained as a psychotherapist. I'm trying to remember exactly how many years I probably did that. Um, I don't know for five years, and then I got a little disenchanted with psychotherapy, and I shifted. Um, into coaching, which is, I kind of do a hybrid of that now. I love the, the depth and insight of psychotherapy, and I think it really applies when people are trying to change their lives and change their results. Um, but I got, you know, I kind of shifted into the coaching mode because I really was interested in helping people create results, and psychotherapy was a lot of talk, not a lot of action. Uh, I, guess uh, it's been, I guess it's been um, 12 years, something like that. That's that's really cool, and you and you guys work under the same building, right? Under the same thing and all that. No, we we work in different places. We we met about a year ago, and it just seemed like we had a lot of the same interests. And I was very interested in launching more of a speaking career, and I think Kristen was interested in you know doing that with me and and helping me with that, and it just. It just developed from there. It seemed like a like a really good sort of partnership. What what was your favorite place to to do a speaking engagement at? Because you know, like I I I'm not I don't want to assume, but but like um, do you do high schools or colleges or what? What's your target? What's your target audience to, to speak in front of? You know, at this stage, because I'm really just at the beginning of it, I'll speak just about anywhere. To be honest with you, just for the experience, because I love it so much. Um, but I think the, my favorite was actually the one that scared me the most. Um, and it wasn't the best speech I gave. It just 
was such an inner triumph to get over my fear and do it. There's a um, there's a talent agency in Los Angeles called uh, William Morris Endeavor, and its parent company was holding a retreat with like 1,500 people in Palm Desert, you know, out out in the desert uh, near Los Angeles, and they invited me to speak there for like 20, 25, 30 minutes, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I know, by the way, that I was going to be speaking after Brene Brown, who is one of the most celebrated speakers in the world at this point. Um, yeah. And little did I know that when you speak in front of 1,500 people, the lights, the spotlights that are on you are so bright that you can't see anybody. You're just speaking into the void. So if you can imagine getting up, you've never done this before, you have this little speech prepared, <laughs> Brene yeah. Browns just blew the audience away. And I gave the speech, and I actually felt like I did a damn good job. Like, I got into it. I, I really enjoyed it. At some point at the very beginning of the speech, I just decided, all right, I can't see anybody, so I have no idea how people are reacting. Maybe they're yawning. Maybe they're riveted by it. But I'm going to give this speech for myself, you know. And it went really, really well, and it broke through something that had always inhibited me, a certain kind of a fear or shyness that I was feeling. And since then, I've just been so comfortable on stage. So I think that was my favorite one because it, it really developed me the most. Do, does, um, do, you, do you do the thing yourself where you dust the crowd so, so, you can, so, so it makes you more um, confident to stand up and talk in front of people on stage? Because I know I have stage fright and I can do that. But like, but like did we're... I mean, like, I mean, like, in front of like millions of people, like the thing I'm doing next week, that's got going to be like a whole bunch of people. Like, you would have like a whole auditorium of people, but um, but do you do the but do you do the dusting too? The so to help you gain more confidence standing on stage speaking in front of all these people. I use that tool all the time, but especially when I'm when I'm speaking to a large number of people and I'm anxious like that. Stephen, do you mind if I describe the tool for your listeners in case they haven't listened to the Buckethead um, podcast? Go, go right ahead. Great. This is a tool that just about anybody can use because we're all in these situations where you want whomever you're speaking to, whether it's one person or three people or, you know, like me in that situation, 1,500 people, you want them to like you. You know, you want them to like whatever it is that you're saying. Now, that, that's a natural human impulse, but the problem is the more you want them to like you, the more scared you are that they're not going to like you. And so the, the purpose of the tool is to nullify out, outside attention as a source of your self-esteem. And what we do in order to nullify it is you visualize the audience and you cover them with a thick layer of dust. What the dust symbolizes is I'm not going to get any light from the outside. There's nothing out there that's going to fill me up or give me anything that I don't already have inside of me. Mm-hmm. The first is you dust the audience. You cover them with a thick layer of dust. And then the second step is you visualize this fountain of light, and it's an infinite fountain of light inside of you, and you the light pouring out of you. So if anybody's going to light anybody else uh, up, it's going to be you lighting up the audience. And it's a really good tool to use before you go on stage. It's a really good tool to use while you're on stage if you start to get nervous. And it's a great tool to use even afterwards if you're nervous about what they thought of you or anything like that. It just it changes your identity from I'm defined by the attention I get into a much more strong identity, which is I'm defined by what I give, not by what I get. Well, man, that's that's uh, that's really that's really good. Honestly, that that's an, that's really inspiring and stuff, you know. Thank you. And so, and so, like, so, like, did did the so did the term the tools come from? The book, or was that, or was that something that you were learned when you were becoming a therapist? That that the tools are these skills 
that that help people and that's just the term for these skills to help people with is the term the tools you know it's sort of like all of the above um when i when i learned the tools predominantly from my co-author phil Stutt, uh, he called them the tools they were sort of a set of techniques that people could use to solve all kinds of different problems um then when we wrote the book together, we decided, so what are we going to name the book? And it seemed to us that the, the natural name would be The Tools. Um, and our patients sort of agreed that that would be the best name for the book. But it's what it really is, just so your listeners understand, is it's, it's just a set of techniques that nobody really teaches you um, when, you're, when you're in school or when you're a student or when you're a young person that, that enable you to navigate life's problems in a in a much more effective way it 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 gets it gets you out of your own way so that you can expand your potential and really be the person you're meant to be Uh, i'm sorry let me add one more thing yeah the tool i just taught you the the dust tool is a tool that, you know, generally I would use for public speaking or for somebody who has to confront somebody, any, any sort of situation where you feel like you have to say something, but it's uncomfortable because you really want the, the other person or group of people to like you. But there are tools for all kinds of problems. There's a tool for procrastination and avoidance, which we're all guilty of. There's a tool for insecurity, you know, that, that deals with the Jungian concept of the shadow. There's a tool for negative thinking. I mean, I've never met anybody who isn't at times filled with negative thoughts, whether they're worries or um, self-flagellation or criticism of others. And there's a, there's, a, there's a tool called the Grateful Flow that enables you to dispel all of that negativity inside of you and really appreciate what life is giving to you moment to moment. That that that's that's really awesome, and that's and that's in your book. That's in your guys's book, right? Exactly. That that's a, that that sounds like a book that a lot that people should pick up. I mean, like it has so many has so many words of wisdom in there from from you from from your from your from both of your great minds. Of, of great knowledge of you know, like these are these are tips that people need to know i mean like i mean like on top of imagination and creativity these are stuff that people need to know this stuff is in your book honest thank yeah. you I, I agree with you Stephen. that's why you know that's why i pursued barry because i saw i actually met barry at a workshop that phil was giving um, and his writing partner and, you know, the one who authored these tools. And I was so blown away by how they captured these kind of invisible, you know, forces and challenges, all these psychological things that are happening invisibly inside of us and even around us in the world and made them understandable and gave people a way to do something, to be, you know, to kind of tap into the best version of themselves and know how to combat the worst version of themselves. And I just thought the same thing. I said to Barry, I said, more people need to know and have access to this technology because it's really game-changing. Is, um, so, so, so we can get this straight, is coming alive the book and the tools the same thing or are they two separate things? No, they're two separate things. The Tools was our first book, and Coming Alive was our second book. And it has, the first book has actually five tools in it, and Coming Alive has four tools in it, and also goes more deeply into our philosophy of psychotherapy, like why we conduct it the way we do. And um, it really talks about, let me back up for a moment. A lot of what tools really do is they they bring up a force inside of you that you're probably not used to identifying that we call the life force. It's just a, a force that expands possibilities. It knows what you're meant to do, and it gives you the energy with which to do it. And I know we talked about Part X earlier. One good definition of Part X is that it is the sworn enemy of the life force. It's 
kind of like a death force in a way. It's trying to diminish you and hold you back while the life force is trying to enhance your life and expand it in, in a variety of ways. And a good definition of a tool is that it's, it's sort of like a Tai Chi or a martial arts maneuver. It takes something that the death force is doing and it leverages it into more life force. That's exactly what a tool does. Regardless of the particular problem that it's, that it's designed to address, it takes something destructive and leverages it into something constructive. That that's that's um that that's a good way to look at. That's really a great thing to look at things, really, because I I, I know I'm making you say thank you a lot, but it's seriously, man, <laughs> this is this is really good. This is good stuff. I do really I really appreciate your appreciation of it because um, I get so excited about this stuff, but I never know <laughs> you know whether other people are as excited about it as I am. I love the idea of being able to take something that's dark and destructive and actually turn it into something positive. I mean, I don't know if you're if you want to take this detour with me, but that's based on a on a very very old concept, which is the concept of alchemy. Now, most people think of alchemy if they've heard of it at all as a kind of um, middle ages in the middle ages there was this attempt to change base metals like lead into gold or you know or silver or something really valuable but the really true al alchemy of the early middle ages was an attempt to take dark primitive sort of demonic energies exactly what we're talking about when we talk about part x and shift it into something life enhancing and 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 in a sense life worshiping so i i feel that every tool is in a way, whether you're aware of it or not, it's turning you into an alchemist. That's really our goal, in a sense, is to allow people to become alchemists of their own life energy. Yeah, because I was gonna, I was gonna recommend to you if you're if if you liked it if you if you were think, if you wanted to do this as like something that you can do with your with your uh, therapy thing, is that you can um. When I was in high school, um, I think it was my sophomore or my junior year. I think it was both both years I did it. Um, I did this thing called snowball, and pretty much what it was is that um, people everyone was put into groups with different colors, and and basically it it opened up people's eyes to reveal like the it really opened up people because you did activities like like um like crossing the line where, where people would ask questions and you would cross the line and that would like, you know, show people's like different ways and how they were and all that. Um, we did fun stuff too. Like, you know, the little scooter thing and scooting across the floor and the, on those gym class scooters. Um, but like, but like there was, there was also this little thing that like, there was like performers who did this thing where they reenacted like a scene of like, of like of like life how life would be if you were like like if you were like um in high school and you were becoming a driver and uh and you and you and you drink and and you just felt all depressed and all that stuff and it, it really it was really emotional because it showed because it showed how much how much better of a person you can actually be and mm. and and it was like little activities like that and like you know that helped it was we were helping people it was helping people like me and everyone who was there with me showing them that they can be better than they are today if they if they if they if they work if they work for it and i feel like that's what i did yeah and it also sounds i mean if i'm understanding it correctly like it was experiential learning like it wasn't a teacher standing up in front of the class telling you what to do. You were experiencing the real emotions of the situation, which is such an important way to learn things. Exactly. That's, you know, that's a big part of the way both of us do therapy is we don't want to talk down to people. We don't want to instruct them like a teacher instructs you in college or something like that. We want to give them a tool and then instruct them 
how to use the tool and when to use the tool. And then we send them out into life, and hopefully they use the tool a bunch of times. And then we want them to come back and say, well, I forgot to use it in this situation, but I used it in this situation, it worked really well. And I, then I worked it in this other situation, and it didn't work so well. So how can we make it work well in that situation? So it's, so it's very, very much taking that experiential approach so that you get to actually get better at the game of life. Yeah. That that's um yeah because if you don't if you don't take these tools that you learn in life, then and you don't use them elsewhere, then like you're not learning. You're just you're just be you're just being the same old same old you from like five years ago, and and not you know and not moving on. Moving on is the most important part in life. Exactly. Exactly. I've known people who've read more self-help and psychology books than I have and literally have never been changed by any one of them because they've never actually put anything into practice. Whereas I, I treat people who don't read self-help books at all and as they put the tools into practice, they really improve their lives. So knowledge is not the same as experience. Yeah, because, because, experience, because knowledge is one thing, doing it is another. Exactly. And I and I and I done a lot of stuff and I know a lot of stuff, but it's not the same as if you do it. And I done and I've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, Love to hear more about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not 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 a lot of weird stuff, but I've done like you know a lot of stuff to help me grow as a person. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've really worked on yourself a lot. I've I've done I I have I have completely when I was in high school I was I was I was like really I was really something like I thought I I was like very frustrated sometimes with myself because I wasn't doing good enough job but then but then I but then I realized after I graduated high school that like is that I did what I could as long as I could and in the end I did it and here I am today you know, learning from those experiences and from the experiences I have gone through since then. And so, and, you know, and everything falling behind after it. So, um, uh, I guess this is more of a, of a, not a therapy question, but just a general question. Um, who does coffee better, Starbucks or Dunkin'? <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer that question because I hardly ever drink coffee. I know, me too, <laughs> me too. Much, much tea. How about that? <laughs> tea. <laughs> Don't know who's the better who's the better tea then? Uh, Lipton or um or uh, Nest tea? <laughs> yeah, Lipton all the way. I've Lipton. never had either. <laughs> all right, I I I had the I, I know we were talking about the tools and all that, but I had to throw in that one question. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's great. How um how so so like um if if you've been if you've been um doing your therapy thing for this long, have you ever thought about like expanding it more like more into the country, like out of California, like like op like not opening our offices but like doing like pain like doing like paid Skype sessions like our, our phone call sessions or are with people are with so many other people to expand your to expand your work if people are willing to pay and want to do it yeah you know I mean I'm so kind of passionately driven to make sure that this information gets into the hands of as many people as possible I'm you know working Barry's going to be you know speaking around the country and even around the world. We're working on more and more of just getting him in front of audiences, like he said, large and small. And then online, um, we're developing um, a couple different formats. One is we're just working on a series of videos that address kind of what we've been talking about, the challenges. Each video would d address a different challenge or problem that all humans face, the same kind of challenges, suffering, and, and then solve that, offer a solution um, that, you know, that's a tool that addresses 
um, whatever that challenge is, and then helps people grow their life force and expand their potential. So that's going to be a series of videos, and there's just so much material. We're envisioning a lot of those, and um, and then also some webinars, you know, where um, that are classes and workshops where we can actually engage with people and get in contact, more one-on-one -on -one contact, so people can ask questions and experience the work. And even if you're not the one who's you know, kind of who raises their hand and gets to do some of the work. There's just so much benefit in witnessing other people go through their journey and just, you know, understanding that we're not alone and we all struggle with the same things. And there are really patterns to all of this stuff. Um, you start to know it. They're pretty predictable. And then again, kind of what Barry said, you can start winning at the game of your life because you realize, oh, I'm just going to keep facing the same part of myself. It's never going away. So what's my new answer going to be? And um, and then you come up, you know, you start changing your, your life. So, yeah, so we're working on absolutely just expanding the reach of all this material have um have you ever have you ever thought of um doing like i don't know if it's gonna i don't know if it's considered to, but like have you ever thought of making like t-shirts that say like the tools and then putting all the tools on the back so like people so like so it says the tools on the front and then all the tools are on the back for like not like the whole like everything that's explained in the book but like the bullet points like on the back of the shirt so people can be like um can be like hey check this out believe it or not steven i actually have thought that. <laughs> i've even of coffee mugs with with tools on you know the name of the tool on one side the tool on the other side it's just we have so many ideas right now that we're trying to put the priority on the ideas that can reach the largest number of people and from a selfish point of view, the, the projects where I can get and Kristen and I can get out in front of people speaking to them because um, the most effective, and I think we're, we're, uh, where we can have the greatest reach. But, I, but I, yeah, absolutely, I love the idea of merchandising. Yeah, because, because then, because then um, the book can get out there, and then, the, and then everything, and then everyone can, uh, can be like, hey, that's the tools. I want to pick up that book, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, but like um, how, if I can ask, has has the sales of both books combined or even separate doing doing very well for you right now? Yeah, they're doing great. I mean, the first book was a New York Times bestseller. Coming Alive didn't make it that far, but it's doing really really well. It, it's strange. It seems to be one of those books that um keeps selling over time like when I when I watch it on on Amazon it, it keeps creeping up and creeping up so yeah I, I think they're they're doing great what's um uh, I'm I'm probably thinking that for both of, both for both of you guys is a question for both of you um what which which book do you guys like better the tools are coming alive which one which one is your is your most favorite one out of the two of them oh wow that's a, that's a tricky question you know my answer just comes down to the shadow i i think i love the tools well because it was my introduction to the work but i i happen to love working with the shadow i think it's one of the most fruitful and high yielding um, tools that people can discover and use and work. I think it's, it just bears a lot of fruit. People really get a lot of mileage out of starting to understand that they have a shadow and um, learning how to build an alliance with the parts of ourselves that we really want to reject and coming into relationship, into this healthy, constructive relationship with those parts of yourself. It just unlocks, it uncorks people, it makes them strong and confident and powerful and creative and gives them access to so much of the wisdom they've been blocking by denying that part of themselves. And so anyway, I, that's why I would answer the tools because it talk, it addresses the shadow and I'm a big shadow fan. Okay. And I would, I want to answer uh, your question and another question as well. And the other question is people who are interested who haven't read either book, which is a really interesting book, but it, but best, I think, if you've read the tools before you read Coming Alive. As far as what I prefer the most, I prefer Coming Alive because it gave me a chance as an author 
to explore things that I hadn't been able to explore in the first book, mainly having to do with Greek philosophy and Greek mythology, which I just, I've always loved Greek mythology. And we were, because it was a second book, we it was a little more relaxed, you know, we didn't have to be so completely on the nose with everything that we wrote, and we were able to write about platonic ideas like truth, beauty, and goodness, and Greek mythology, like like the myth of Persephone, you know, going down into the underworld with Hades. And I just, personally, I resonate with that material. So it was just a blast to write that stuff. That that sounds that sounds that sounds like a, a adventure. At very, it was. It was. That's describe it. So Chris, so when me and Christian were um, were uh, were um, sending emails back and forth, um, setting this up, she told me that you're a sports guy. <laughs> I'm actually not a sports guy. I don't know why. She what did, did I say? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> no, 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 you, no, you said no. When I sent the initial email, I, I, I think you, you emailed me saying like, like, oh, Barry really loves sports. I was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> Oh, you know where that might have come from? There's another podcast done by a guy named Stephen Clark, who's a tennis coach. And so I think what happened was we Googled your name, and we just assumed that you were him. (laughs) Oh, because I'm so good at tennis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's so funny. That's so funny. (laughs) But no, no, I'm not not good at tennis. If anything, I'm good at uh, at badminton. (laughs) (laughs) Great. But no, I mean, but no, I mean, like, um, it's, but it, I, I find that funny. And there's a Stephen Clark who's really good at tennis, but a lot of people confuse me with the guy from Def Leppard, Stephen Clark from Def Leppard. That's who a lot of people uh, confuse my name with. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, what, what is it, if I can ask, what's your guys' uh, music taste? Like, what do you guys listen to music-wise? Barry's a kook, so I'm going to make him answer that first. He actually had to choose. You know, he was he was sharing with you about his favorite public speaking experience, and it was in front of that 1,500-person audience. And I was in Mexico, um, whatever, many months ago, and, and I get this email from him that they want him to choose a song to go on, to, on stage to, right? It was like big, you know, high production value event. So there was going to be this song as he walked on stage and it was going to pump everybody up. And anyway, he's trying to figure out what song yeah. to use. And he sent me his examples and they were like these crazy punk rock. I'm like, are you crazy? You're going to alienate the whole audience. They're going to be afraid of you. Anyway, so what's your musical taste? I have very, very, very strange musical taste. I, I was brought up in a very deeply sort of classical music family. My, my mother was really almost like a concert-level pianist. So one part of me loved Bach and Chopin and, you know, the sort of like the, the deepest early romantic classical music. And then the other part of me, which is sort of like an adolescent, rebellious teenager, even though I'm 65 years old, loves post-punk hardcore. So, so try to figure that out. I don't know why. So, so, so you want on, so you want on the stage, so it's abilities to it smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> it, it's even deeper than that. It's it's a band called Strung Out, and it was a song called Andy Warhol. I never heard of it, but if it's yeah. punk rock, then it has to be like something deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Kristen, your taste? Uh, um, I mean, I like soulful music. So, like, currently I love Brittany Howard, Alabama Shakes. Um, plus, I love, um, oh, I'm just basing on their name. Um, but, but things with soul. I, I like, you know, Stevie Wonder, Aretha. Um, but, oh, I love the Black Keys. I don't know what it is about the Black Keys. I love the Black Keys. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all over the map. So, with, um, with Thanksgiving around the corner, you know, it's literally in two more weeks. Um, what, what is, what, what, um, what are you guys doing and how are you preparing for it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, well, I have a, a very California family. I have a very um, modern family with lots of different wings, and I'm taking the tradition over this year from my dad, and um, it's going to be at my place, and I'm trying to integrate a lot of different different parts of the family. So there's exes, and there's in-laws, and there's there's like a whole motley crew of people, and I'm, I'm excited. It feels like a big challenge, and everybody's going to get assigned a dish, and we're going to try to play a game. Like, I'm designing a whole, a whole experience for people, um, really to bring people together. And, it, you know, my, my mission in all of it is that love, love is really has no parameters, is boundless, and we can look any way and have any shape, and we're just an oddly misshapen family <laughs> with all kinds of wings and whatever, and, and um, I think it's going to be... Anyway, I have high hopes for it, but I'm going to dust everybody before I go into it, so, <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> attached to the outcome. Yeah. How, how about you, Barry? I, um, you know, my wife's birthday is always right around Thanksgiving. I think this year it's actually on Thanksgiving. Um, so it's a really, really busy, hectic time, but we usually have family over, um, you know, extended family, and we play a game called White Elephants. I don't know if you've ever heard of that game, but you, you, you bring to the party a gift that someone gave you that you will never, ever use for the rest of your life because yeah. it's too cheap or too tacky or too ugly or too useless or whatever it is, and you wrap it up, and then, you know, you throw dice, and you and you walk home with whatever white elephant you get. It's, so this year's Barry and his plastic ball. <laughs> yeah. Right. Here you go. I got you a plastic ball. Hope you love it. Oh, uh, no, I know White Elephant. I've done it before. Um, it it's uh, it, it's 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 kind of pointless because then you get like, or it's kind of like you get other people's garbage that you don't want. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if you're hosting it, you usually end up with everyone's garbage because they leave it there instead of taking it home. Yeah, like 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 they better like like they better uh, they better throw away their turkey legs so I don't have to do it for them. <laughs> Oh man! What about you, Stephen? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm uh, I'm actually it's actually going to be here at my house, and the family's coming over. Um, like not the whole family, but some of the family's coming over, and we're just depending. I took that day off. I asked for that day off, but if I get that day off, um, the whole family's coming over. We're gonna we're gonna sit down and eat the turkey. And we're gonna have all the regular stuff that you have with it, and possibly hoping up putting the Christmas tree up the same day, <laughs> hopefully. Ah, oh, that's nice. That's great. I love Christmas though. Christmas is, it's probably my first favorite holiday. A lot of people love Halloween, but I love Christmas. <laughs> yeah. When, you know what? I the battery on my phone is dying. Oh well, if well, if we gotta wrap it up, we can we can uh, we can wrap it up right now. Okay, sorry about that. No, it's fine. We've been almost going for an hour anyway. Um, so, it's so nice, Stephen. I really, really appreciate it. Your questions are so on point. I, I can't think of a podcast I've given where I felt prompted to, to say exactly what I've always wanted to say. So I really appreciate it. Hey, it's no problem. Um, let, me, uh, let me advertise my stuff and I'll let you advertise your stuff. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 77 of Cyber Time Bite. I want all of you to follow me on Facebook at Cyber Time Bite. Follow me on Twitter at Nostalgia Vamp. Get my merchandise at, red, at redbubble.com under Crash Steven Gear, where you can find my spork shirt. And you can go get my um, a shirt that I think you guys are even going to like um, called that says, When Great Minds Think Alone. Uh, when great minds think alone, and when you walk alone, you get the strongest direction. Go pick up those shirts, and and I would and I would love it, and I would love it if you guys do. And how about how about you guys? Where can everyone uh, look up the Mr. Barry Michaels and Miss Kristen for future reference? 
you can buy our books on Amazon or you know any other bookstore. Uh, they're called The Tools and Coming Alive. And there's a lot of material. Uh, you can look up any problem you're experiencing and get a tool for it on our website, which is thetoolsbook.com. And if you're interested in hiring me as a speaker or Kristen and me as speakers, uh, you, can, you can write to us on the website at info at thetoolsbook.com. No, no, face, you don't have like a Facebook-like page or Twitter or nothing that we can all follow for you? We do, but... It's I, on the I, website. Yeah, it's on the website. I don't remember this one. No, it's all right. I'll, uh, I'll make sure... I'm, I'm definitely giving you a follow. I'll definitely give you a like, and I'll definitely keep up with what you're going on to because you're a great person. You're, you're helping a lot of great people. And um, and just thanks for doing what you do. Thank you to you you too, Stephen. We really felt good about this this podcast. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for having us. This was great. No problem. So I get I guess if that's it. Um, I hope all of you have a great day. Have a nice one. Bye, Stephen. Bye bye.